Go ahead and open your Bibles tonight, book of Acts chapter 12. I want to speak tonight on this subject, uh, the character flaws of Herod. The character flaws of Herod, uh, some things we can all check uh, on ourselves. Uh, you know, and I try to check all the time. You know, growing up and uh, going to school and, and there in East Texas, we had a fella and... Uh, that uh, I went to school with, and I, I, we always said it was a saying that just kind of stuck. With his name was Daryl Leggett, and we always told, said, talked about Daryl Leggett. We said he's quite a character. <laughs> now you might have somebody that you went to school with, or somebody you worked with all your life, or knows that he's a man. They're just quite a character. And uh, a lot of times we say this about definition definitions. If I can talk, uh, we say. Character is who you are, and reputation is what people think of you. And for the most part, that's true in a very simple way. Uh, character, you know, in our character, we all have character flaws. We all have weaknesses that we can work on, every one of us. Now, these are very glaring with this fellow. This fellow was just a horrible guy. Uh, his daddy was a horrible guy, and his grandfather was a horrible guy. Uh, matter of fact, everything about uh, these Herods, uh, they were driven by ego. Uh, but ego drove his, matter of fact, his great-grandfather, Herod the Great. Of course, we mentioned him this morning. Herod the Great killed all those babies hunting for Jesus. But he was also the fellow that built that magnificent temple. But he did it for a reputation that people would think well of him and that he would have a great reputation. He's also the fellow that built that great fortress that's still there today called Masada. Masada was the last vestige, if you remember, in A.D. 73, those Jews, rather than become slaves to Rome, took, you might have remember seeing many years ago, I think it was the ABC miniseries based upon talking about Masada. And, uh, and it was, and, you know, it's pretty amazing when the promised land sent me over there in, in 2007, uh, that was one, because it was so well preserved in that Judean desert, that was one of my favorite places to visit. 
uh, there were so many things that were well preserved to look down. You know, I remember, I remember seeing back in the 80s that miniseries and ABC and that was before all the VCRs and all that. And, you know, miniseries on TV. And remember in the 70s, there was one called Roots and, uh, and all these things. And, uh, so and I remember watching that. And I remember seeing the television series, them building that ramp to get up to Masada. There was no way they could access it and get up there. And then I, and I show up and it's a 2000 year old ramp. And you can actually see the ramp that these people built to get up there. And then I get up there and there's no fight at all because why? Because they had, they knew that the next day, the next morning, the Romans were going to breach their walls and, uh, in the middle of a desert. It was amazing to me the engineering that went into that. Herod's engineers, uh, there's flash floods in a desert. That doesn't rain very often, but when it does, it rains hard and fast. And they built canals all over the desert area, and all of it ran. They built it so all the water would run toward Masada and fill up cisterns there at Masada. That's the way they had fresh water in the desert. He even had a sauna, I mean about four of them saunas in in that place it was a unbelievable uh, testament to not only the engineer and the time but that was herod the great that did that here we have in looking at this herod the great just kind of going through a quick list ruled at the time of jesus's birth he's the one that killed all the male babies herod antipodus ordered the beheading of john the baptist and this fellow here uh, the Herod in Acts 12 is Herod Agrippa I, the grandson, of course, of Herod the Great. So let's just pick it up and uh, read and take a look at these, this fellow's character flaws and how we can guard our own. About that time, Herod the Great, here in Acts 12, 1, stretched, or Herod the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. <clears throat> then were the days of unleavened bread. Let's just stop there for just a little while. Uh, you know, when we think about Herod, being, we think about the character flaws, really you say, well, he's... This person's quite a character. This person has character. Now, I've heard it, have heard that English word used that way. Well, he has, he's quite a character. Then I've heard, well, he's got character. And then I've also heard it used as a derogatory remark. The person, they've got no character. You know, they just have no character. Do I hear these character flaws with Saul? Number one, in, in these things that we can look out in our own lives and how that we can do this, we're going to see these flaws, and then I'm going to look at how, how we can avoid them according to God's Word. Number one, in verse one, we see him mistreating his own citizens and his own people. It says he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Now, so basically he's going after these people here in verse one, people that belong to the Jerusalem church. And he's going after the leadership, so he mistreats his own citizens, the people. Did you know he's in charge of this? Be kind of like the governor of Arkansas saying, you know what? I don't like these Christians. 
I'm going after them. Of course, in Arkansas, that would entail about 75% of the population. There's a lot of Christians, at least so-called Christians, in Arkansas. So if Governor Mike Beebe is going to do that, he would have to go over a lot of people. But guess what? So basically, this is the governor. This is the king. This is the ruler at that time. And he's going after his own people. Number, number two, he executed innocent people. In verse 2, we see immediately he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He didn't stab him in the heart. <laughs> he beheaded him. And guess what he's going after? Second in command, the apostle Peter, next. So he executed innocent people. A lot. Of, one of the character flaws of his, basically, and his dad, where did he learn it? He learned it from his dad and his grandfather. He saw this modeled. I'm going to pick on innocent people, and I don't care who I step on. He had, he had basically no character. Verse 3, he made decisions based on popularity. Verse 3 says, and because, notice this, because he saw it please the Jews. He said, I, I, and so basically, and those Jews, who were they? Those Pharisees. And said, oh yeah, get them. Get them, get them, because they were what? They were of Judaism. They believed in, don't, let's don't accept, there's not a Messiah. There's no Messiah has come. Because, you see, if a Messiah had come, it puts them out of business. They're no longer the head church in charge anymore. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are out of work if Jesus is really the Messiah. So these Jews are the lost Jews who don't want a Savior. They don't want a Messiah. So basically, and notice this. And it's just like our politicians today, or maybe somebody you know today. How people act are usually whoever they're around. Or they just want to please people. You, you get a politician, a politician will talk one way around a certain group of people, and another way around a certain, another group of people. Well, guess what Herod was? He's right there. Look at verse, uh, three. Because, in other words, he, Furthered his decision based upon what? He saw it pleased the people. That's a character flaw, folks. We ought to say, I stand for what's right and what's not right. And it doesn't matter who you're around. It doesn't matter who you're around. What's right is right. And so you don't change depending on the people that were around. Also, he acted irrationally in difficult times. Let's just skip on down. Uh, we see this, uh, I call it the holy jailbreak, where God busts Peter out of jail. And it's an amazing story, but we're concentrating on Herod and seeing what happened to him. Verse 19, we see how that he made or acted irrationally. It says, and when Herod sought for him, who's him? Peter. He's out of jail. Who got him out of jail? God did. When Herod sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. So basically, if you back up and you see in verse 4, he put uh, four quantarians of soldiers, that's 16 guys, on a six-hour shift, so four people watching him, six-hour shifts, okay? And so that's four times six, 24. Last time I multiplied that out, if I could just get Caleb to memorize those things, 
and multiplication tables. But uh, so 16 guys, what did he do with them? Just it didn't matter. So his own army, he would act irrationally. So who did he kill? He, I tell you what, you work for me, you mess up, you die. And so he acted irrationally in difficult or stressful times. In verse 20, we see how that he even harbored anger toward others. In verse 20, it says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, because, but they came with one accord to him, having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. In other words, they needed some food. But he didn't like them. Herod didn't. And so we see here that he he held anger or bitterness. He held on to grudges toward others. Another character flaw of Herod. Another thing we see in verse 21 and verse 22 is that he projected an infallible image. In other words, I'm never wrong. I'm never wrong and I'm never to be questioned. In verse 21, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Basically, he gave a speech. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And so we see here, he would uh, seek out, he projected this infallible image. Uh, verse 20 even says that, uh, of course, how he harbored these things, sought power out of insecurity, different things like that. One thing that's about to happen, and we're going to see God intervening. Now, it's very interesting that God, we, you know, we know that he pays attention to people that want to follow him. God is interested in you. If you're saved here tonight, God's interested in your life. He wants you to grow in Him. But did you know God is also watching people who... He's, he's watching people that are just out there living the, a, a selfish life. He's out there. He's, he's, he pays attention to the lost. He knows about the leaders of lost countries. And He's seeing this. And by the way, He's paying attention to Herod because guess what? He sees Herod and how Herod is treating his pastors. He's watching Herod and seeing Herod how he's behaving and seeing what's going on in his life. And so he kills one of them and he's about to kill another one. Of course, he says, uh, 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 this is, I've got a, I've got a job for Peter. I'm going to uh, put him to work. And so we see him projecting this image. In other words, he said, he didn't tell the people, no, I'm not a God. He, he let the people think, I'm, I've, I'm up here, you're down here, and you'll do as I say. <clears throat> verse 21, 23. And then finally, verse 23, the last thing we'll draw out, these eight things that we have down here. In verse 23, we see how he was blinded by his ego. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. That doesn't sound like a pleasant way to go. <laughs> you know, he took, he took those apostles' heads off. Uh, at least that's pretty quick. Uh, 
Now, there's a lot of vermin that I've decapitated, <laughs> uh, snakes and all sorts of things like that. That doesn't seem to take long, but God says, uh, eh, it's pretty rough here. Not so fast, fella. He allowed these worms to eat him up on the inside, and he gave up the ghost. So, basically, his ego, matter of fact, uh, if you study these other two guys, they were eating up with their ego too. I tell you what, as I look at this, I, I know that a lot of times uh, in our own lives, we can we can get caught up in, a, in an ego trip or we can get caught up in our own character flaws. All of us have them. I have them. We all have them. When we say we don't have character flaws... Well, then we're lying to ourselves, and uh, then we're gonna we're gonna mess up, okay? And matter of fact, we can't be used of God unless we admit that we have character flaws, unless we admit that there's something wrong. So, so matter of fact, you say, well, so I don't know what my character flaw may be. It may be just something as simple as pride. That's an easy one. We all have that to a varying degree. All of us have a certain amount of false pride. All of us have a character flaw of, 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 of looking out for ourselves instead of lifting others up. Now, there's some, obviously, we say, but they're totally unselfish. They're just, they always put somebody or everybody ahead of themselves. We could, we could, you could mark that as, as somebody's character, as a good character trait. But I guarantee you, even in the best people, we're thinking, you know what, I've been so unselfish i wonder if anybody's noticed <laughs> you know is it because why we're all in the flesh if we'd all be honest you know say man i, I sure have been doing good i wonder if anybody's noticed that <laughs> you know or something like that a little more is what is that that's a little bit of pride well let me show you now this guy obviously this is a man we, we picked the the cream of the crop here on character flaws i mean you could look at uh as a matter of fact we could you could pick a bunch of them King Saul, did he have any character flaws? My goodness, yes. You, you, you could pick out somebody kind of in the middle. Did Samson have any character flaws? Yeah. Did, and were they were they used by God? Yeah. What about Jonah? Did he have any character flaws? Yeah, but he was still used by God to preach a preach the word. And guess what happened with a with a, a preacher who was still he hated the people he was preaching to. But God used the sermon anyway. Did y'all know revival broke out in Nineveh? See, even with character flaws, God says, I can use you if you'll just let me let me have them. Let me have your character flaws. And I, you can still be used of God, but, but folks, we can never be used of God if we say, I don't have any character flaws. I don't want to deal with my problems. I don't want to deal with what's, what's wrong in my life. I don't want to deal with anything. I'm right. I'm always right and I'm never wrong. And it's all about me. I have no character flaws. <laughs> well, if you just said all that or even thought it, we have a bunch of them. <laughs> We need some issues dealt with. Did you know the Bible tells us how to do this? Let's take a look real quick. How do I deal with my character flaws? Well, there's three things. Now, I'm going to say these three things, and then we're going to look at the Word of God behind it. First off, I need to ask God. 
Next, I need to confess to God. And third, I need to let God. Let's look at it. The very first one is in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, the very last two verses. There we go. This Psalm of David, as he says, God, this is about character flaws. This is, do I have anything wrong with me? Is there anything wrong with me? The folks, there's nothing wrong with all of us asking that question. And what does David say? Search me, O God. Psalm 139, 23. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And then what? And lead me in the way everlasting. So what do we what do we have what's going on here? Ask God what what's wrong? What's wrong, God? What's wrong? What's wrong in my heart? Is there anything wrong in my heart? Folks, we ought to ask God that every day. All of us should. And then just back up a few pages, another Psalm of David. I wanted to, we need to ask God, then we need to confess to God. In Psalm 51, of course, this is his confession after being confronted with his sin. In Psalm 51 and verse 3, the Word of God says this, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Thou, thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. In other words, basically, say that the way I speak, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I've messed up. Because there, there's no way you can get to verse 12, in Psalm 51, verse 12, without going through the first 11 verses. And that's where he says, Restore unto me, the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So ask God to what? Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Next, confess to God. God, I've sinned against you. Matter of fact, I've lost my joy. And then lastly, in closing... We have, this is just powerful right here, let God. In Jeremiah chapter 18, get everything lined up here. Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1. This last point basically is this. So I've asked God to look inside of me. Do I have any character flaws? Lord, point them out to me. Show me where I'm, where I've, I need to make something, do something different. Secondly, I need to confess to God, God, yep, you're right. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. I've messed up. And lastly, lastly, let's put this away. Before I read, uh, is, I believe it's Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 is where I'm going to cover. 
If you're already there, you're seeing where I'm heading. But let me ask you this, dealing with the potter and the clay. The potter and the clay teaches us a story. It all boils down to this. Am I still teachable? Or am I so hard that I am unbendable? In other words, if I'm not moldable, if I'm not teachable, I can't learn anything else and I won't listen to anything else. I can't learn anything. God, God says, I'm just going to crush you, grind you to powder. Or else I'm still teachable. And God, I need you to teach me. Several places in Isaiah, he says, uh, shall the thing form saying to the thing that formed it, Hey, listen, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and it says it. That's pretty sarcastic, isn't it? Well, the Word of God says that. We're, and we're, guess what? We're the thing formed. <laughs> we're the pot. We're the clay. Who's the potter? God. What does he say here? You know, that, that'd be great. I don't care what our age. I don't care if we're 8 or 80. It'd be great to say, I'm, I'm still teachable. I'm still, Lord, I need to learn. I need to grow. Is there anything wrong with saying that? Is there anything wrong with saying, Lord, mold me? Is there anything wrong with saying, Lord, shape me into the vessel you want me to be? There's nothing wrong with saying that. Matter of fact, God is yearning for you to say that to Him. I'm still teachable, Lord. I still need to learn. He says this. I've got a lesson for you here. Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah 18, verse 1, The word which came into Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. We prepare for him the invitation. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the clay that's still able to be formed in your hands. Lord, teach me and show me what you want us to do, the way you want us to be formed. Lord, help us to see that we have to place our character flaws in your hands and just give them to you.